Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Press the button. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. And uh, today in front of me, uh, a man, which is was interesting, and a man with really one of the best sort of um, branded names you can come across. If you imagine the name Joe Caruso, my goodness, that's a name to conjure with. I don't know whether it's a boxer. I don't know whether he's going to be an elite athlete or perhaps he's a leadership coach. Joe, good afternoon and welcome to you. Uh, uh, hi, it's really lovely to, to see you and thank you for inviting me. Absolute pleasure. Uh, well, you better tell us a little bit about where you are in the world because I can see, um, or I can tell from the accent certainly that you're not from these lovely shores. Where are you in the world today? I am in my office at the top of Lake Erie in Michigan, which is one of the five great lakes in the Midwest. Um, And I'm looking out at the water and at you and your water in the background. And uh, it's hard to believe. This is the River Tyne in in Newcastle. Um, so, well, it's wonderful to talk to you. So, um, uh, lovely Michigan and all that sort of stuff, can't, not such a fantastic part of the world. So, tell us a little bit about what it is that you do. Um, I'm a leadership coach. So, I advise CEOs, admirals, captains, um, and leadership teams to help them get out of their own way and optimize uh what they do, how they do it to get what they want in the fastest, most efficient way possible. Most of the time, when left to our own devices, we do more and more things that are less and less important to the customer. Hmm. We become a little lost in our own sauce. And uh, and it's hard to think about <clears throat> outside, you know, objectively about ourselves. Can I give you a quick example? Please. Anytime we define a problem, we've immediately defined all the solutions our minds can't consider just by the definition we chose. And uh, when Apple stopped trying to beat um, Microsoft, they immediately exploded Mm. with you know, just disrupting music, phones, and so on. Yes. It changed their entire approach to who they were, and it just opened up a whole world. And so, this is this is a, 
this type of thinking usually requires, and your background is certainly a testament to this, but it usually requires a candid experienced assessment and a candid exchange uh, of ideas. So, so unpack that a bit for more for me, because so what you're saying is that um, we we need to move from away from problem oriented thinking to solution oriented, or or what you're saying is the way we're defining problems is limiting in itself. Where 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 are you coming from? I, I think it's it's more the latter because it's more in a general term right. uh, versus a, a, a either or choice. Right. I think we have to be able to step back and say, what could this be? Or as my friend, the psychoanalyst Curtis says, what else could this mean? Yeah. These are the kind of questions that once the CEO speaks and has given their definition, people just take that definition as gospel. Yes. And by the way, I, I you don't seem to have an accent at all. Thank you very much. That's because I'm, <laughs> as you can see from my background, I'm, transatlantic <laughs> um so do you think this is something to do with the nature of the way we define problems or the way that the role of the ceo is changing over the course of time oh i think it's both i think it's both i think that people they tell you that they don't like change will say it over and over and over uh, <laughs> i mean that they say they like change they'll say it over and over and over without changing anything i think we have a tendency to become too static in a dynamic world, especially in marketplaces that are changing every day. And and um, and then we have, that's the way we've always done it. Or my father ran the company and he always did it this way. Um, yes. You all see, of those I, things. I always wonder about that change thing, because actually as human beings, we're extraordinarily skilled at change. And, you know, Physiologically, we're changing all the time. Mentally, we're changing all the time. Cognitively, or emotionally, we are. But sure. I've always seen that the problem is actually heinous leadership management practice, which which is you know the the process of being changed or managed through change. And um, so it's it's interesting that you would you would define change as a problem in itself because actually change by its very nature is something we're very good at. I don't think change is the problem. I think the problem is how we approach change mm. I, I the way we define it is the problem um habits die hard and and identity the last people thing people want to do is shift their identity and corporations have identities businesses have identities uh you just got back from a navy base and working with leadership team there there's over 200 years of tradition yeah but but then, contrary to that, of course, is you have people like um, organizations who suddenly get a new CEO who are changing very, very fast. I mean, you've even got one in the States at the moment who's showing us everything about change management, you know, the entire story about how not to do it. But it'd be fascinating in three months' time if he's achieved his objectives and is right. Because actually, I've seen many companies go through heinous leadership practices and be extraordinarily successful. And I often wonder whether... We as leadership consultants are sort of we're banging a purist drum, which doesn't always work in the practical work world. Because I mean, I've been a leader of organization, but many of us haven't. 
and and I don't know if we actually really understand the true problems which are in organizations by the very fact that we're on the outside of them, which is what obviously gives us our advantage in the first place. So um, I don't know what your views are on those many different points. I've just made those there. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, I think I think you're right. I, and, and many people have worked for very famous, iconic leaders who were not really nice people. Mm. I mean, that's not an uncommon problem in America, for sure. Um, I think also, <clears throat> if we think about the average bear, they get up in the morning and they have their list, whether they put it on a computer or on a pad of paper, mm. <clears throat> a list they made yesterday. And then they start checking off their list. Yeah. And not saying, hold on a second, what is it? You know, I like to wake up and say, I'm smarter than I was yesterday. Yeah. Let me meditate, think about how I look at my life, my world, my wife, you know, uh, my business, and see if I have reconstructed anything or can get a glimpse of a of a different perspective. Yeah. Uh, that's not too many people start their day that way. The meditation route, you mean? I, I mean, the let me not jump into immediately my texts, my emails, oh, right. my list of things to do. Yes, yes. I mean, I think Dan Pink famously talks about this, doesn't he? And he's, you know, when you work rather than what you do. Yeah. Um, and I think that's fascinating, isn't it? We've seen this. I think we've seen over the last two, 55, six years ago, this 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 ride of Silicon Valley thing of mental um, protection in the mornings, you know, this cognitive... Um, uh, care you know you wake up you wear the same t-shirt you don't make any decisions you you run you exercise you drink a pint of water you eat you drink coffee with butter in it you go through every single fad and that you get and then you get the same outcome so i just wonder whether this is this is because because your point i think is interesting which is how am i smarter every day is a much better thing to think of than how am i fitting into the latest fad <laughs> Absolutely. You know, my 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 father said, Joe, nobody wants what you're selling. And I said, what's that? He goes, well, you're selling that everybody has to do their own work and look inside themselves. And who the heck wants to do that? Yeah. yeah but it's true. true. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Scary. But I, but I think the word smart's brilliant. And I know the Americans use it in a particular, you, you sort of use it a different way to us, which which I think is fascinating. Because the smart and the smarts with an S on the end, which actually mean different things, isn't it? And I do think there's a sort of a commercial savviness, which we often maybe use as, as a sort of phrase. We, we don't get better than that every day. We don't constantly think, how am I better? How am I smarter? How am I, uh, you know, how am I, how is my rat-like cunning evolved differently from yesterday, which is actually what I need to be successful Rather than thinking, you know, am I meditating? Am I, you know, am I reading another 30 books that somebody once said was really important, but they never read themselves on the way up. They've just read them now. They're multi, multi-billionaires. Um, and if, you th- if you're managing a, I don't know, if you're managing a gas station in Montana or, a, um, I don't know, a, a packing firm in the middle of Dover, you're not thinking about meditating and, and self-improvement. You're just thinking, how can I be smarter today? Because that's the thing that gives me the 1% you know, advantage, that those incremental gains or whatever that's called. Um, 
So I, I like that idea. So how do we become smarter every day without falling back onto the tried and tested? What what, what do we do differently? Well, in, in, the introspection is a big piece of it. You know, okay. the, another another context, I, I believe strongly in uh, foundational contexts and contextualization. So in my in my prior best-selling book, it's called The Power of Losing Control. It's on audio on the website. Um, I, I said, we enter each age of life as a novice. And that contextualization helps me wake up and consider what I'm taking for granted as true that is probably worthy of consideration. Mm. And, you know, I don't believe I wake up. I do believe I wake up smarter every day because of wisdom and time and that correlation. Uh, which is true, yeah. Um, but I also try to be more aware, and in that, what am I not aware of, or what am I assuming that isn't written in stone that I'm behaving to? It's, you see, I, I find this interesting because I was working on a leadership pro program last week, week, and 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 I ran across a really old idea. And um, people said to me, that's really quite brilliant. That's quite thoughtful uh, and such like. And I said, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those ideas. We've only known about this for 3,000 years. And it's called learning. And I think we've lost sight of this idea because we've lost it in the language of, of the 21st century. And we don't like words which are just quite plain quite ordinary and just work and make us smarter. We like better words, don't we? That sort of have a better ring, a link to a fire. I mean, I hear now quiet leadership, servant leadership. We've got all the leadership terms. Very few people actually just say, what does that mean? And how do I get smarter every day? Because actually it's about outcome driven leadership, isn't it? Which is doing the job to get the results you need. Um, and I was just, I was just, I just wonder whether we've lost sight of A, things like learning in the journey of the leader. If you think about the CEO, there was a brilliant book written years ago, wasn't it? The Fish Rots from the Head. Uh, it's a ghastly book to read, but the great title. And you look at most CEOs and and I wonder if it's, I wonder if introspection is the problem. I wonder if actually it's a lack of challenge that comes from people like ourselves who go and talk about different issues and leaders sit there saying, that'll never work for me or... And when you say, have you tried it? Of course, you will say no, which, of course, is, you know, one of those classic things that you get. But I just wonder whether I wonder whether we need to we need as consultants to be different, to be able to get a different message over to actually help leaders differentiate. And I like the thing you were just beginning to talk to me about before the podcast, which is this idea of narrative setting, because I really believe in that. So I wonder if you could unpack a bit of that for me. Sure, absolutely. Um Anytime we define anything in our external world, we use ourselves as the foundational context. So I'll just use, I'm in North America, um, live on an island, there's a lot of deer. I'll use deer as the example. Some people think it's Bambi, it's a cute little animal. Uh, some people, hunters, it's venison. Right. It's, it's, it's food. Uh, for gardeners, it's a very expensive pest. They eat all the flowers. And for if you drive in Michigan, my state, at night, it's the yeah. deadliest animal on the road. Yeah. Now, 
All of those is definitely, it's still a deer. Never changed. But who you are affects how you define something. And so we start with the mind. And the simple question is, who am I? Mm -hmm. While I become. And, and you're right about thinking. Um, I just did a podcast last week on uh, Will Durant, the American historian and, and philosopher. And uh, on the story of civilizations where he follows every philosopher from the beginning mm -hmm. on the, in the Western world, all the way up to John Dewey. And it's, it's one of the most important books I've ever read because you can learn how not just a person thinks through an idea, but also how people can look at what came before them and shift it or change it or tweak it or improve it yeah. throughout humankind. And I think teaching people to consider, you know, what else could this mean is very important. Everything starts with how we think. Yes. Yes, it's the old idea of the beach ball, isn't it? That you look at the beach ball, but some people see the colours on one side and some see the colours on another side. And it's the, it's the foundational stone for healthy conflict, isn't it? But we have to recognise that whatever happens, it's still a beach ball, but it still have, has different perspectives, isn't it? Yeah. So so how does so the, so I get that. What else does this mean? So so what's the significance of the narrative in this piece? Then is it what we're saying to ourselves? Is it the is it the, um, the story we're telling ourselves about our experience, or is it the story we're creating to to help deal with what's going on? Uh, in my new book, Narrative Wins, which is it's out in the spring, um, I define story. We can be in a restaurant and there's hundreds of stories being told mm. in the restaurant. But if the restaurant only holds 59 people, there's 59 narratives telling those stories. And I see the narrative as a as as the foundational understanding of who I am. You know, when I speak, when I speak to large crowds, um, which is now coming back because of COVID, mm. if someone was impressed by me one of the first things they want to do is to tell me their story yeah and and that's their narrative mm. and because that's who we are you know Descartes I think therefore I am mm. so this is this is a, a great place to start and the more we learn about our own narrative the more we can recognize narrative in others for example, um, the better we'll be able to tell the right story to the right person in the right way at the right time for the right reason. Yeah. Which is the key to the work that you and I do, Russell. Yeah. So how does that help CEOs? Is it about communication with stakeholders, including employees and members of team, team members and such like, or is it is it actually about creating a sort of corporate culture based on a on a on a, um, a compelling narrative that allows us to make sense of the world? Where where, where is the starting point? I believe always with the CEO. I was in a board meeting once, and the CEO says, "Okay, tell me my vision," and I'm wow. like, "What?" Yeah. Well, I, Im imminent imminent dismissal. I think that's the dismissal vision for that person. Oh, yeah. That's that's uh. 
it's like, okay, what other part of your job should we do for you? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, be, I believe it starts with the CEO. If you have a vision that others can find themselves in, you've got a chance that those people might help you create something that doesn't exist today. Yeah. Because they don't see it. They can't see it. You have to be able to, just like the Bible, you know, when someone would have a vision, it would come in a dream. And then they would have to explain what they saw to others. And a CEO has to be very good at that. And, and I have to be able to find myself in it. Yeah. You know, why Why do people, I tell budding entrepreneurs, you're not going to make yourself rich. Other people are going to make you rich. Yeah. Never forget that. But you have to compel them to want to. Because there's a cause. They can't feel they're doing something bigger than themselves. Yeah. And you'll get their best. Yes. I mean, I mean that's always struck me that there's a sort of laziness in CEO thinking, which is how do I motivate people? And, and the point is that you can't motivate anybody. All you can do is set the conditions where people can be self-motivated. And that's a harder job, isn't it? That's a that's a more tricky thing. It's much easier to see the well, fear and greed uh, as a sort of traditional way to do that. Here's a pay rise or a, or a fire you. But the subtlety of leadership now is that you know that, and I like the word compelling. I remember ages ago there was I can't remember who came out with it. I think it was Sears to talk about the the four C's, the four compellings. And we all know what happened to Sears, but actually the idea of the great it was pretty good. And um, but I think that compelling message is quite interesting, isn't it? And compelling is quite an interesting word because it implies movement, doesn't it? it implies that something's going to happen as a result of it. Um, exactly, away from or toward. Either yeah. Way. So, how do you create something that is compelling? What 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 what's the, what's the process you might use? Uh, first, it's identity, right? Something that everybody can agree with. Who are we as a collective mind? What problem are we trying to solve? What is our role and what is our process? So a leadership team walks into the room and the typical leadership team are the best of what their profession is. You know, the HR executive and the finance chief and the, and then that, but that's not a team. That's just the top of the different divisions in the organization. Yeah. That's just a lead person. And so there has to be a trust and a candor where everyone's about allowed to talk about finance. Yeah, Everyone's allowed to talk about HR. If they have a good idea, throw it out there. Yeah. And, you know, let's not look at defensiveness. I think it was Aristotle that said, uh, excellence is not an act, but a habit. Yeah. And uh, a CEO's job is not to create excellence is to create an environment where excellence can thrive yes and i think you you've you went through a word earlier that is a, the word of the moment almost which is candor and um i think in your country that means something different slightly to us again but the idea of radical candor strikes me that we've got ourselves into such a, a victim-led parent-child culture recently that we've actually had to invent this term or appropriate that term to actually talk about what needs to be talked about. And now we've got to have radical candor, which is 
it's just bizarre expression, which means nothing when you read the book, of course, other than just say what needs to be said and treat people like adults. And I think we've got, and I think that's one of the problems because we've created a, we have um, created an overwhelming, our overarching culture, which is so risk averse recently that actually we've got problems with this. And and some of that's to do with um, the sort of um, fallout of COVID. Um, But it just seemed that we are more frightened of ourselves than we used to be. Yes, where we've uh, we've lost our ability to take a punch. (laughs) That's for sure. Yeah, and th- and that's an interesting narrative, isn't it? And especially given the American dream and the American way, it seems quite odd that you would have lost your secret source. Hundred percent. So, so what's yeah. going on? Well, uh, I if you study cultures that became wealthy, mm. whether it's the Dutch, you know, they were pretty uh, simple people, and then they ended up, you know in a trade route that just had them involved with everything that was going on in the world. And they got quite wealthy and quite spoiled. Uh, Americans are very spoiled yeah. in, in general, not all, uh, but, but we want what we want when we want it. And uh, when we can't, and, and we want it now, by the way. Yes. <laughs> Yes, that's very true. But also, we seem to have broken down the concept of, I mean, it's, it's being broken for many years in your area. I mean, not broken as in um, not working. I mean, broken as in broken down. But the oh. idea of community, that, that seems to have gone, isn't it? We've lost, we sort of, we sort of see organizations as um, family replacements or community replacements. You go to parts of Eastern, oh, Western Europe and Italy and such like, and you get a strong sense of community. You go to China or Africa massive senses of community, massive power, massive uh, coalescing, sharing of enterprise and such like. It doesn't matter whether financially rich, but that makes them spiritually very rich. And I think and I think that you have this um, we sort of fractionation in the West, don't we, where we're, we're now subunits and, and then we're sort of having to make companies more than they need to be just to be able to sort of, sort of cope cope with the sort of society Ill, societal ills of our own sort of organizations and companies so yeah. i guess that's part of the role of a ceo now isn't it it's almost even though we don't want to be father figures or mother figures we're starting to have to take that role on or is that is that the path to madness i don't know if if you're managing or leading a, a group of people um and someone is myopic and selfish and overly critical of others without ever really helping. Um, and you don't call that out and point out how that's hurting their leadership mm-hmm. and why and what they can do to change it, then you don't get to talk about it. That's right. In a job review. But but if you do call it out, now it's on the table. Yeah. It's 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 a discussion point. And, and uh, that level of candor is very, very important. And if, if the other thing that I think is happening in quite, quite too much in this country is we, we can't wait to climb on a mountain and shout about how different we are yeah. instead of climbing on the mountain, talk about all the things we have in common, yeah. that community that you just talk, mentioned. Yeah. It's, it's, it seems that we're losing that we're expecting huge companies to take the the part of 
family, spousal, dating, um, all those sort of different relationships. And now, now certainly in your country, you've got the rise of the sort of entrepreneur and there'll be a backlash to that now when everybody starts realising that they can't all be entrepreneurs because no one knows that. What you will, yeah. Well, there's all sorts of views on entrepreneurialism, entrepreneurialism in both of our countries. But you'll see the pendulum swing back, where it'd be good to be part of an organisation again, because we need to, we need that sense of collaboration. And I think that's one of the things that um, good CEOs can build a narrative around that sense. What you said earlier, that sense of belonging, that sense of making a difference bigger than yourself. Whether that solopreneur is really just there to shout about how brilliant they are and hope that someone hears. And I find working with large leadership groups quite interesting because it is that how do you find the meaning in what you're doing? You know, how do you create that? Even if you're selling, I don't know, gas like gas lights or whatever it might be, yeah. or financial services products, you're doing it for a reason. Even if it's just safety and security and, you know, um, whatever that might be, there's always something, isn't there? You can find that narrative to to link to people and, you know, make life better in some way. Yeah, that's a, that's exactly right, and it's a CEO CEO's job to carry that torch. Yeah, uh, I'll stick with your gaslight comment. Yeah, I've got uh, a bit of gaslights actually. It's a bit of an old idea. <laughs> I might never catch on, especially the price of gas. <laughs> <laughs> but the, you, you, we have to recognize we're always talking to a nervous system with a brain yeah. and a mind, and even if it's the collective mind we we can't forget that we're communicating to that being and just toss off an idea or just say something backhandedly uh you don't hand somebody a document like this yeah you know you hand it to them like this yeah and it all it all adds up It's kind of Buddhist to think this way, but I think that nothing matters, but it all counts. And and if we can kind of keep that in mind, then we don't get bent out of shape about every little thing and become reactivists. And yet we can see how things can come together. Yes. Yes, you know you're fast. You have, a, you have a, a very good mind, and your background is. Um, we need more folks like you in the business world. That's for sure. Oh come on, Joe. Let's say us for goodness' sake, not just me, us. Well, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. So yeah, when's, I, the book, when's the book coming out? And tell me more about it and who you've written it for and such like. Uh, fascinating to uh, that more. The 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 last book, the audio book, is uh, more of a self help book. Right. It's called the Power of Losing Control. Yeah, we, we what makes us want to control things is fear. Yeah. And so we have a tendency. I mean, if you're a dominant personality, it's that you're that way because you're you're afraid. And if you're a cautious person, you're that way because of fear. Yeah. So you've got the same motivator with two completely different reactions to them. Um, so it's it's uh, the power of losing control is there's only one thing you can control and it's yourself. Everything else is out of your control. You can influence it. That's it. Yeah, that's it. In in the so the narrative wins book uh, is about your narrative is the foundational contextual meaning that determines how you see the world. Yeah, that guy's out to get me. 
uh, uh, just whatever, you know, whatever that they think they're really something. Well, that's your insecurity speaking louder than probably yes. what they're doing. Yes. Yes, that is, that is. I think, something I remember that Gary Vanacek banging on about, which is part of quite basic psychology, which is it's learning to be great yourself without trying to tear somebody else down. It's yep. recognizing they can be great without you being threatened. And that's a that's a big message, isn't it? Especially when the top of an organization where you're attempting to take the credit for everybody else's work, as opposed to letting everybody ri- help you rise up by by then becoming more skilled and adept in the work they do. Tough yes, and I, th- I think it takes age to figure out that concision is powerful. Concision oh, so. is so powerful. Yeah. Uh, I remember the story about Ernest Hemingway, the American writer. Um, you know, take a book like The Old Man and the Sea, very short sentences, no big words. And uh, he got smarter when I read the book 30 years later yeah. than he was when I read it the first time. Yeah. But there's the story about he's talking to a young writer and he says, you have to learn to be more concise. And the writer says, well, what do you mean? And he says, pick a number between one and 10. And the kid says six. Hemingway says, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. Concision. Yeah, and and more, the more concise we can be as leaders, yes, yes. the less we're going to confuse and cloud the other's mind with the bamboozling words that we might string together. Yes. To try have an effect on them. Yes, that's interesting. Was it Picasso that said it took me seventy four years to learn to paint like a five year old? <laughs> that ability to just be able to cut through to the issue, I something I need to work on myself. But um, absolutely fascinating, uh, Joe. Been delighted to talk to you today, uh, and I'm very conscious of, of the fact that time is running on. I'm being very discourteous in the use of my looking at looking at the time and, and looking after that. So thank you so much today. Um, let me just, for, for listeners, just to, to talk about that. The new audiobook of The Power of Losing Control is uh, out. Uh, it's also on Amazon. And the new book is coming in the spring. And uh, just remind us of the title of that book, Joe, just in case we've forgotten. Narrative Wins is the new one. Narrative wins. It's it's probably my best work, and the other one was a bestseller in six languages. I'm very excited about it. Yeah, and it also we have podcasts and all kinds of stuff on uh, CarusoLeadership.com that it's free. So we we, we want to just share knowledge. That's that's our uh, our mission. Yeah, and why not? Eh? Why not? That's how we all get smarter. And the thing is, you can you can pump it out there, but it's down to those CEOs to engage and put the work in. Because everything's there, isn't it? The All you have to do is show up, as I like to say. <laughs> Some people have trouble showing up. Oh, <laughs> Joe, it's well, been a delight. Been, Thank you so much for fun. your time. Thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. Let's do it again. Me too. You take care. Okay, bye-bye. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. 
As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.